you are tuned into CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio, and you have Dave and Jody, and we will hear from Hank and Craig and Brennan a little later. A big mix of all kinds of good things pop culture related, and we definitely have a mixed bag today. Uh, Dave's going to talk about Poker Face, which Craig talked a little bit about last week, but Dave is actually up to speed. He's uh, back with the animals waiting for new issues to come out. And uh, I have a whole bunch of stuff that I want to talk about first. But why don't we start with Poker Face, Dave, and uh, and then we can get into my stuff a little bit later. So what's so great about Poker Face? Well, I won't step on anything Craig said at all, because I really just want to talk about the most recent episode, which I think is like the fifth or sixth one, because it co-stars. And this show is bringing back a lot of cool faces from movies and televisions past. And in this one, you get uh, Tim Meadows and Ellen Barkin, and they do a really fun kind of play within a play thing where this week's mystery uh, unfolds at a dinner theater. And so what I would say is so great about Poker Face is just that they've constructed this sort of Agatha Christie murder of the week style series with a really, really good character in Charlie to sort of fill up that 20 minutes of every 45 minutes that, you know, where someone needs to figure out the murder or figure out the mystery, a really good kind of Columbo, Banachek, Rockford sort of show. We love those. Like I love the procedural. And this one has a bit of a quirky twist because she has like a superpower, right? She can tell when people are lying, which seems like a big deal in the first two or three episodes. Like, wow, she's like a lie detector. But the show is smart enough that as it goes on, you realize that's not really everything because you don't always know why somebody's lying. And just because you know they're lying doesn't mean you can find out the truth. So it, it's it's pretty smart that way. That's what makes it a little bit more nerdy than maybe some of those detective shows that I was talking about. So uh, apparently there is a really kind of neat little cameo in every episode. What other interesting people have been on the show? Uh, John Ratzenberger showed up in an early episode i think number two or three and he had done a couple of scenes before i realized it was like okay that's cliff from cheers even though he still looks pretty much the same same haircut same mustache yeah i think there have probably been maybe people that i didn't even recognize because the cameos are so plentiful and then i would read after like oh this person's reappeared on poker face but you know i just i was just into their performance and that's really another cool thing about this show is it gives somebody like Ellen Barkin like a chance to come in and just rip through a lead part in one episode of TV and really give like a memorable performance. But that's that's it. Like her character won't be won't be back next week. Right. So yeah. that's pretty amazing. Those are fun. Like, and I think as a challenge for an actor, that must be a really cool opportunity to be able to do that. Yeah, and that's what one of the things that made this most recent poker face so good is like Tim Meadows, who you think of sort of as a like long time sort of SNL straight man, you know, a kind of a guy who was always underplaying the comedy in anything that he was doing. He he actually gets to act in this episode. And 
he's a little bit funny, but that's that's it's not really a comic role. And and so that's another just a cool spot where somebody like that can just step in without having to commit a huge amount of time and maybe do a part that's a little different than what you'd see them doing if they were the lead in a series or getting top billing in a in a film yeah very cool anything else you want to say about poker face just that if you haven't started watching it um it i think it streams on peacock and it's at that point now where whether they do eight episodes or 10 episodes that's one of my favorite times to get into a series where like i can watch one or two a week and at that pace you know there won't be a point where i'll run out of episodes to watch okay super groovy well let's throw things over to hank and craig and brennan get their take on stuff and then uh let's talk about some comics and shows so take it away fellas hey everybody it's craig sillifant on punch radio on cfcr 90.5 fm and i am joined as always by my co-pilot the man with the plan the man with the jam Hank, crew. Yeah. Yeah, kicking out the jam since 1979. <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, so we got a few Ooh. things to talk about today. Uh, why don't you start? I think you've been oh. uh, revisiting a 90s icon uh, that is having, yeah, a, I don't know sure. if she's having a resurgence, but like, or well, I don't her know story is at least if uh, I talked about this before and I'm sorry uh, if I did, but uh, I watched the uh, Pamela, a love story documentary on Netflix a little while ago. And uh, it's about two hours long. Uh, it is incredibly lightweight uh, glosses over everything. It's, you know, like the description says through personal video and diaries, Pam Anderson shares the story of her rise to fame, rocky romances, and infamous sex tape scandal. And it's rated TVMA for child abuse references, domestic abuse references, language, nudity, and smoking. Well, when she references child abuse, it's like one sentence and then glosses over and goes over to something else. The domestic abuse with uh, Tommy uh, and some other people that she was involved with, mm, like 30 seconds and glosses over onto something else. Um, this is not what I would even call a documentary. This is just a kind of a mishmash of here. I live, was born in Canada, lived over here, moved over here, went to Playboy, uh, met Tommy, uh, had some kids. Now I went to star on Broadway uh, for a show and the end. And like, what is this garbage that I have watched um, completely like lightweight, but because uh, I thought, uh, as we all know, the books are usually better than the movies. I thought her book would be better than the documentary. And I love reading biographies. It is like my jam. So right. um, I read Love, Pamela, which is the title of her book. Now, it is more in-depth as the stories that she talked about in the documentary are a little bit longer. But is there really any more to it? Not really, because the point is, in my own words, I'm going to tell my tale because my story's been stolen. And I'm going to tell... Well, she didn't really tell much of her story. Again, it was pretty glossed over everything, so there wasn't much to it. Uh, a few things in there I found interesting, but I do enjoy um, in the documentary where when she's being interviewed, and I think it was her son that helped put the documentary together, um, she's not wearing makeup, 
Um, she's not like all crazy dressed up or anything. And it's like, oh, so she is a real person. And the other thing that I found uh, interesting is she's actually very uh, well read, very articulate uh, into really uh, great art and poetry and all that you would never expect from the persona of Pam Anderson. And it's like Pam Anderson, the person, oh, now that actually is somebody I think we would be able to hang out with and get along with. But Pam Anderson, the icon, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with her. No, I don't want to do it. Huh, that's interesting because yeah, I I'm not I have almost zero interest in watching either of these. So I'm glad uh, you haven't. Been I took like, one no, for no, the you team. Need to. Yeah, get, yeah, good. Yeah. Thanks for taking that bullet. But I was oddly enough just reading an old uh, essay by Chuck Klosterman uh, the other day in Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, and he was talking yeah. about he was comparing. Uh, Pamela Anderson with like Marilyn Monroe and just the like icons for different ages and and kind of the difference between them and stuff like that uh and it's it's it, it's just I wonder how much more interesting Pamela becomes when you're sort of talking about her uh you know and and her place in pop culture in the 90s and what that meant like even something like the sex tape at the time it was explosive now oh, yeah it's like it's it's almost like you have to put out a sex tape to be like a famous yeah. person. And even the tape I mean? itself is like, ooh, it was pretty racy for the three seconds of sex stuff. Ooh. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, like, wow. Okay. Like uh, yeah. stuff on TV is worse than that. But uh so, but yeah, like they were the like the first viral video. But even like in the book and the documentary. She doesn't even like she doesn't get into lots of the stuff where you think it's right. like, well, this warrants a conversation. Let's hear about it. No. Even when uh she uh went to Playboy the first time and then noticed that all the women uh, around her all had implants. And then it was like, oh, well, I should probably do that. But it's just a one sentence about it. And then on to something, and you're like, Well, those are the things we want to know about. Like, why did this happen? And get more in detail. But right. No. And that would be fascinating yeah. if she, from her point of view with her experiences like wrote about the in-depth things like that, that like women had to go through in that, in that world, uh, you know, uh, and she's obviously, I think, talked a little bit at length about her, about the sex tape and stuff like that. But it just seems to me that she's much more interesting when somebody is talking about talking her as about opposed her. to her talking yeah. about herself and, and, uh, and, you know, talking about what made her important or what the climate was around that time, like not criticizing her necessarily, but just, uh, kind of that that sort of media theory, you know, about that stuff. So so. But take it uh, for what uh, for what it is. Uh, I will say that I expected uh, more, not necessarily better. I expected more. Right. Which is always kind of crappy too when you have yeah. like a a tell all book that doesn't really tell you all that much and probably just exposes that something you thought was a very interesting and exciting life was actually kind of boring really like um, so what's uh, what's up with you what have you been well uh, i think we should uh do our weekly check-in on the last of us oh, uh, we won't drop yeah. any spoilers here but uh, uh i guess we just had episode five last last friday uh, because of the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl. earlier, but I think like uh, all I really have to say about it is, you know, that third episode was so amazing, but everything else so far, especially this episode without giving anything away, it felt most like a Walking Dead episode uh, where they, you know, start to set up these interesting characters and do things. And then, you know, ultimately it's, it's like, it's not going to go. I, I don't want to give away any spoilers. So, but it's, you'll know what I mean if you saw it. I do think the ending was kind of fun and I think I could talk about this because it's not really giving anything away, but like, I think that was a little more Game of Thrones than it was 
Walking Dead uh, in the sense that you have like, especially that one like creature, let's just say without giving too much away, that's, mm. uh, you know, pretty interesting and does separate it from something like The Walking Dead. It was actual, um, like, um, well, the word is escaping me, but like the creature was real. Like it was practical effects. It wasn't right. a CGI. Yeah. So I'm like, no, that's cool that they went ahead and like actually did that. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty neat. So, but, but again, it's just going to end up being like, you know, okay, they get in some adventures like Lone Wolf and Cub or Mandalorian and uh, Grogu or something. And then they're going to meet some people, you get to know them, but then they're just going to move on to the next town or whatever, which I guess is like how the game works. So we should know that, but uh, it does, you know, in any other age and any other time and place, it would be a brilliant television series but i just feel like it's it's really well made but some of these episodes are skewing a little bit too far into the tropes we've seen a million times before uh, so i'm still enjoying it but just with that caveat i like uh, this episode more than the, the episode before the episode so episode four felt way more walking dead this one at least the characters i seem to care about more than the walking dead like and even if they're only in some of these characters are in for like one episode but it's like well i've care more about them than characters in the walking dead that have been there for six seasons or eight seasons or whatever but uh it's still they need True. to be careful need to be yeah. careful don't get too far down the walking dead mm -mm. exactly so uh, and then the other thing i was going to quickly talk about is decalogue so i'm uh currently working my way through that uh it's actually it's a polish dramatic television miniseries from 1989 directed by uh Kielzlowski, who you know you might remember from the especially the three colors trilogy uh in the 90s uh so he's like a polish film director each of these are 10 one-hour films and they're all inspired by the decalogue of the 10 commandments so each short film explores characters facing a moral or ethical dilemma uh and they all live in the same housing project in 1980s poland but it's it's like an anthology so sometimes you see other characters from other episodes but mostly it's like each episode is dedicated to like that just a different character and what they're going through and what they're doing so you know the first episode is very much like almost like a black mirror episode you know the last one i watched had some tones of incest and stuff in it so uh some of them are a lot more fun some of them are a lot darker and it all takes place in this sort of like cold era poland which is already sort of like depressing just to look at even uh so but really brilliantly made really smart just i'm like i'm only halfway through it right now and this is the first time i've actually watched it even though it's you know obviously been out for a number of years uh, but definitely worth checking out if you, uh, you know, like that kind of art film and stuff. And uh, unlike most movies these days, they're in one episode or, you know, one hour chunks. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching Babylon at home. It's a three hour movie and I'm watching it like it's a TV, TV series. So we've been watching it an hour a night. So uh, tonight I'll watch the final part. But uh, it's just funny that we have to do that. But anyway, that's uh, that's going to be our time for today. We're going to throw back to Jody and everybody here. So. Uh, that's it from uh, Chris, Hank, and I. Bye, bye, bye. Hello there, Punch Radio and CFCR listeners. It is Brennan here again with some more suggestions for you, things that you need to check out. Now, this episode is going to be a little bit different. Uh, a lot of times we talk about movies or we talk about comics or we talk about things we've watched, uh, things that we find interesting, captivating, and things that we want you to be able to look into and find for yourself. Today, I am talking about literature. Actually, not even literature so much as a small collection of poetry and a collection of interviews. So a little bit different for today, but something that I just came across that I'm so excited about that I want to share with you 
today. So I was out visiting my, one of my favorite used bookstores to do some shopping, find some gifts for people. And of course, when you're shopping for other people, why not look for something for yourself? And as I was leaving, literally leaving, wasn't like I was even looking for this, there was a small container of unusually sized books, let's just say. You know how sometimes make ones that are very, very oversized? Sometimes large print for people that can't read as well um, or have visual difficulties or like big gift books. This was the opposite. This was a little container of mini books, small ones and all different sizes. And as I went through them, the first one that popped to my head, well, popped to my head, popped to my eyes that I saw was The Scripture of the Golden Eternity by Jack Kerouac. Now, I'm a huge Jack Kerouac fan, a big fan of his writing. Specifically, though, I'm super interested in his views on Buddhism and his writings about that. Um, he has a book called Some of the Dharma, which, in my opinion, is one of the best modern books written about Buddhism ever, uh, particularly with his own uh, Jack Kerouac's perspective on it. Some of the Dharma was actually created as a way to express his ideas, and he sent it to Allen Ginsberg, and I, if I, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but basically he said, here, take care of this, Allen. This is the only copy that I have, which sent Allen Ginsberg on his own spiritual quest. And as we know, uh, Allen Ginsberg became one of the most famous contemporary American Buddhists in literature and poetry. And that was as a reaction of Some of the Dharma by Jack Kerouac. So Some of the Dharma is brilliant. Um, that one came out in, I think he started it in 1953. I believe it was completed in 1956. This came out in 1960. And this is sort of his idea of creating his own sutras, his own koans, his own lessons on Buddhism that people can read and reflect on. Jack Kerouac was known for his improvisational you know, jazz poetry of language and style. And in this one, um, he really took the time to create a carefully well thought out book. It even says here, uh, page 16, I'm reading from the introduction, the scripture is an extraordinary controlled use of a language in a process of discourse, which at a crucial point in his career, Kerouac could use to secure himself within the ecstatic love, which consistently slipped from his grasp by the sheer contingency of day-to-day -day living. The framework is traditional, but freshly received information concerning how to end conflict and dualism. So he really took the time to be, have controlled language to make his points come across. This was originally written, sorry, originally published in uh, 1960 by Corinth Books and then re-released in 1970 by City Lights Pocket Books or City Lights Publishing. City Lights Publishing uh, started by Lawrence Ferlinghetti, and of course their most famous work was the original version of Howl and Other Poems by Allen Ginsberg, which they did in this small press form. So it's a, a, a quarter of the size, maybe a really flat book you could fit you know, somewhere easily in a backpack. It's small, it's enlightening, the, the words are beautiful. Um, I find this so, so interesting. So if you're at all a Jack Kerouac fan, if you could ever find a copy of that, that is great. But the next thing I found, which is even smaller, is Safe in Heaven Dead. Jack Kerouac with a picture on the front by Allen Ginsberg because they influenced each other so much. This is released by uh, Hanneman Books, and it is actually a collection of interviews that experts have, ex, excerpts, 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 have been taken out to make this small book. Now, when I say small book, this is literally a pocket-sized book. It would fit in the front pocket of a sport jacket, okay? Um, it's bigger than a matchbook, but smaller than a new calculator. 
What's interesting, when these interviews were found, they were trying to get the rights for them, and uh, Mrs. Kerouac would not release them, but it turns out that the rights are actually belong to the person who did the interview and not the actual publishing rights. So um, they made a bunch of collections, they took excerpts from these interviews and made this little, little tiny book. It is so fascinating. I love hearing authors talk about their works in their own words. This was released in 1994, originally in 1990. I'm guessing it's probably out of print. You probably can't find it. Um, but I find it super interesting. It's really great. Maybe if you talk to me nicely, I'll lend it to you sometime. But if you can come across it, Safe in Heaven Dead. So if you're all a Jack Kerouac fan, if you can, find Safe in Heaven Dead, the interviews, and the scripture of the golden eternity, both by Jack Kerouac. Check them out if you can. That's my time. I gotta go. So until next time, talk to you soon, Saskatoon. All right. Thanks, guys. So big news. Last week was uh, Harley Quinn or this week. Uh, that's like what? Tuesday or something was Valentine's Day and a really cool episode of Harley Quinn, the animated series came out called A Very Problematic Valentine's Day Special. Unfortunately, I have not had the opportunity to watch this yet. That'll be like a Valentine's gift to me. Hopefully sometime next week I can catch up on it. But uh, if you're not watching the Harley Quinn animated series, it's amazing. It's super funny. It's got the same feel as like something like the Venture Brothers, or even Metalocalypse, where it doesn't take itself too seriously. It makes fun of a lot of the tropes, and it is just really well-written. We've been loving the series for a while, so it was nice to get an extra little special Valentine's Day thing. What do you think about Harley Quinn, Dave? I, I think of all the, like, not-for-kids animated shows, because there are a few of those out there where you just wouldn't want to watch it with too young of a of a kid. Uh, I think that one's probably my favorite. I think some kids that are probably six or seven do get pulled into watching that show because it's a really fun show. But I don't know. There, there's those ones like the Venture Brothers that you mentioned, which you probably could watch with a kid most of the time. But there, yeah, there's there's something a little more adult about this one. And it just it just it knows what its tone is it reminds me a little bit of the like warner brothers animaniacs yeah era like where it just is kind of like this is exactly how silly we're going to be but we're still going to do like a professional production and tell an interesting story and develop some cool superhero supervillain characters yeah yeah their their take on the rogues gallery is excellent I also really like, like, there is a lot of profanity and there's like a lot of sexual content. So it would not be appropriate for a young viewer for sure. But I love that there are people who are making cartoons for me, for adults and just writing accordingly. And I love it. So that is very, very exciting. Great uh, voice work on the Harley Quinn animated series too, because especially Harley herself, sometimes that voice in some films and in some shows has been a, l a little bit, it, it's it's a tough one because you got to give it that, that boss kind of tone that she has. But since you're hearing her a lot in the animated show, the voice has to be listenable and it really is. Yeah. It's good. The whole cast does an excellent job. I love, love, love that show. Okay, I'm gonna move on to another show that I'm hoping I will love. 
It just came out. It's it debuted on Disney and they did kind of a neat thing. They also debuted the um, pilot on YouTube for free as well. And it is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. So the premiere is called Moon Girl Landing and they've changed it a little bit from the comic. So the original comic came out in 2015, uh, written by Brandon 